0: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, and placed them in the the Garden of Eden, a place known as paradise. And in that paradise, God communed, he related with his people. Friends, we're the result of God's creative purpose. We're intended for that perfect relationship, but something went wrong. There was rebellion and rejection against God. Adam and Eve rejected God, and every one of us to this day are born rebels, rejecting God in our own ways and sinning against Him. And we're separated from God because of this sin. But God, who created us to be in relationship with Him, did not leave us in sin. Throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, we see in the Old Testament that He called a people to be his own. In the Old Testament, his people that he called, they rejected him. And instead of worshiping God as king over them, they asked for human kings. And God gave them human kings, and those kings then rejected God. And God sent prophets to his people to call them back to him, to return to him. And the people bristled at the words of the prophets and rejected the prophets, and ran from the word of God. And finally, in his love, at the exact right time, God sent his son Jesus into the world to save people, to be the atonement, the sacrifice for our sin, and return all who believed to relationship with God. And this is his story from the Gospel of Mark. So if you want to grab a Bible from the pew in front of you or Uh, If you're using one of the journals, those journals are available at the counter in the lobby. Um, I invite you to turn with me to page 847 if you're using one of the pew Bibles or page 68 in the journal. We're in Mark chapter 11 today. And Mark chapter 11, this passage is the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life on earth. So from here until Easter the remainder of our time through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to be looking at the last week of Jesus' life. Um, And it begins uh, today. Um, At this point, Jesus is at the zenith of his fame. He is at the peak. Uh, He's just healed a blind man. That blind man jumped into a great crowd that is following Jesus on his way into Jerusalem. So he's entering Jerusalem, when we pick it up today, not just with an entourage, not with just with his disciples, but chapter 10, verse 46 tells us it's a great crowd. Right? There would be no mistaking Jesus. Anywhere he would go from this point in public, he was known. Um, and it's also come to the point that the religious leaders understand the threat of his popularity and so they're making their decisions to act on their plans regarding Jesus and so from what we are reading today in just one week's time Jesus would be arrested crucified and three days later rise again but as we Look in Mark 11 today, he's entering Jerusalem. His authority is on full display. So let's look at chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to, sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus had said, and they let them go. He had looked around at everything. As it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This first episode, there is a lot of mistaking Jesus' authority that happens. On his entrance, the crowd was exuberant, and they were expecting salvation from Rome, which occupied them at that time. They were exuberant. They were cheering Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. David was a king over Israel at one of its greatest points in history. And the people were looking forward to a new reality free from Rome a new nation and national identity and Jesus would be its king. This isn't Completely unexpected, but it's mistaking what Jesus is coming to accomplish and the reality of his kingdom. Now, they greeted him like royalty, right? Cloaks on the ground, green branches on the ground, making a highway for the king. If you can imagine a dirt road covered with fresh green branches and cloaks, I mean, this is quite the sight, right? And Jesus coming in, riding on this colt. This crowd was large and passionate and looking forward to freedom. And they were looking to an earthly kingdom, right? mistaking his authority. They have supplanted Jesus' agenda with their own. Friends, Jesus is king. In this, the crowd was accurate. Right? The king rules his kingdom. And that is true. But his kingdom is not merely earthly. And he defines his kingdom, not us. Right? They were trying to define what it should look like and what Jesus should do for them. Right? When we come under the leadership of the king, he defines what we should do for him, right? And who we should be in his kingdom. His kingdom is eternal and global and spiritual. It's far beyond a city-state or national identity. And Jesus, as king, gives those who believe in him a new personal identity, child of God. Right. So even as they were mistaking his authority, Jesus was also demonstrating his authority in this entrance. Right? If we back up to verse 2, He's called two of his disciples and sent them uh, to go do something. And he's told them in verse 2 and 3 exactly what to do. He's foretelling the future here, almost casually. No earthly king can do this. Um, Every king projects confidence, but no king can foretell the future, much less control it. Uh, With Super Tuesday, I always watch and I always am amazed at the confidence every candidate projects going in to Super Tuesday, right? But none can control, and as we know, much less clearly define the outcome. Jesus does it almost casually here, calling two of his disciples, guys, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll bring it back here immediately. Okay. Now the disciples have been, remember this is the last week of Jesus' life, so they've been with him for three years now. And so they have seen much. They've seen Jesus feed thousands. They've seen Jesus walk on water. And it's almost just accepted, oh, yeah, we're going to go into this village up here, and there's going to be a colt right away, and we're going to untie it, and we're not going to have any problems stealing it, <laughs> right? So we're just going to tell them the Lord needs it. Um, the disciples did it, and they found it exactly as he described and said what he prescribed and accomplished what they were told. Just look how far their faith has progressed in three years. Right? They went and did it. Um, in three years of ministry with Jesus, all the terrifying times, the awestruck times, all the good times and the partying times, but now we see a quick obedience and a quick trust. Let's go do this for Jesus. Sure, this isn't walking on water. It may not feel that same way or it may not feel like you're sitting in front of thousands with two loaves of bread and Jesus tells you to feed them with it. But still, it could be grand theft, right? Go take someone's colt, which, by the way, has never been sat on, Jesus tells them. And Jesus knows this. And then when they ask you, tell them the Lord needs it. We know Jesus knows the future. And this is almost a lesson to these two disciples. If you remember from the weeks that we've been going through Mark, three times he has predicted that they would go into Jerusalem, he would be handed over, tried, and crucified, but three days later rise again. Three times he has predicted this. And now in this little episode, he is showing these two disciples, I do know the future. I am sovereign over it. And so you will go find this unridden cult. You will say this, and you will bring it to me, and I have need of it. Right? In the same way, I'm going to be handed over, crucified, but in three days' time I will rise again. He's always teaching, always showing, always giving hope. Right? He's predicted his death and resurrection, and now in this event he's showing I know what I'm talking about when I talk about the future, right? Almost as casually as he details it, but friends, remember, following Jesus always requires faith. Always requires faith. Jesus speaks to us today through scripture, sometimes loudly, sometimes we read the Bible and something sticks out at us and we know I need to make a change. Sometimes very subtly and quietly, but always speaking. Calling us to follow and trust him, always requiring faith. So though these disciples had this three years of experience, had seen all this great, they still had to go do it. They still had to go untie the colt and bring it to the Lord. Friends, bringing this application to us today, if Jesus is speaking to you, if you're hearing his voice in his word, Respond in faith, right? If you're tempted to sin and think some sin would be better than what you have or some sin would make your life better, stop. Remember the words of Jesus and pursue Him. If you're struggling in a relationship, and it could be any relationship, a friend, a spouse, a child, a relative, trust Jesus with it and be the person He has called you to be in that relationship. If you're worried about your finances and having enough trust Jesus who is the Lord and do what you do for his glory work not for money but for him right seek first his kingdom and don't get distracted by money rather let it be a tool for his kingdom maintaining your focus on him Like these two disciples, as you walk with Jesus, your trust will go. These two had walked with him for three years and their trust has grown to the point where they go and do this. Three years earlier, had Jesus asked them to do something like this, who knows what their response had been. But now they go and do it. They're in a place of trust. They may still not understand all that is about to transpire. They may not understand all that's about to be accomplished for the kingdom. But that's the element of faith. Right? We don't always know, but we know who has asked us and called us and leads us. Right? And so we can trust. Jesus also displays his authority here by fulfilling prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9, Zechariah was an Old Testament prophet, actually says this. This is Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 11. I'll read it for you so that you can hear how just hundreds of years earlier it was prophesied about the coming king. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We know from Matthew's gospel that this colt was a donkey colt. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Right, And so in his time, in his day, the people read a prophecy like this, remembered a prophecy like this, and we're looking forward to peace and this righteous rule, but missing the, the imagery that's created here is not a king riding in on a stallion. He's coming in on a colt of a donkey. right? A humble beast of burden. And he's not defeating nations. They are cut off by the Lord. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. The battle will end and there shall be peace. The king is coming to bring peace, not war. Right? And his rule shall be from sea to sea. From the river to the ends of the earth, it shall be global. Right? This is far bigger than Rome. And there's going to be a covenant. Because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. There is so much in this prophecy, and here Jesus, in his authority, is fulfilling it. Coming in, riding on this colt. The king is here, righteous, and having salvation. Now, Jesus was worldly righteous. But listen again, the... The king is righteous and having salvation. The righteous king. It's not just that he maintained righteousness or he lived righteously, but he himself is righteous. Jesus is that pure and good and righteous. It's a word attributed to him. There is no other righteous one in this sense only Jesus is the righteous one bringing peace everywhere and having salvation right the righteous one is here and having with him salvation the blood of his covenant would soon be realized and prisoners would be set free right. so Jesus came riding on a colt of a donkey having salvation with him. This isn't geopolitical salvation, it's eternal spiritual salvation, giving his blood on a cross, making a new covenant with us. We are accepted by God through faith in Jesus. So what the crowd mistook is that Rome was the enemy. Friends, Rome isn't our enemy, sin is. And the king defeated the enemy. Sin was defeated on the cross. Salvation granted and eternal life with God begun for all believers. Today, our enemy, your enemy, is the same. It's still sin. And it is still defeated by Jesus who died on a cross and rose again three days later. Jesus is the righteous king having salvation. And that salvation is for you. Death is arrested is such a good song, pointing this out. There in his resurrection is the victory. So do not mistake his authority. Just one more glimpse of his authority from this entry. Um, He rode on a colt that had never been sat upon. Has anybody ever done that? It's an unbroken colt. Even though it's a donkey, it's a little smaller. It's still an animal, strong and powerful, right? Uh, Kennedy's not here this m- I don't think Kennedy, I think she's on spring break. Are they on spring break at Becker? Yeah, they are. She's on spring break this week. Oh, thank you. Rhiannon's back there. Gotcha. Um, Kennedy, I, I sent Kennedy a message this week. She's on the equine team at Becker, and so I messaged her. And I'm like, what would it be right to ride on a colt that's never been written? right? What would that be like? She said, that would not be easy. This is what she said. That would definitely not be easy. Breaking a colt is extremely difficult and would probably involve falling off multiple times and a lot of bucking and kicking. Not just anyone can do it. It takes a lot of patience and understanding of the animal you're working with. It takes a lot of time to break a colt to be prepared to ride. Look again at Jesus's words. Untie it and bring it, this colt on which no one has ever set. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. He's not spending days with this animal. He's going to use it and send it back. He is demonstrating his authority as he rides this unridden colt. He commands all. This animal that wouldn't even know how to go left or right, is under his very control. There is so much here because this king is like no other king. His authority is like no other authority. Mistaking this is costly. We must accept this authority, accept his authority, trust his leadership. And just like the cult, the wildness of our lives can be brought under his control. Right? And his is a very good authority. There's also authoritative judgment here. Let's pick it up in verse 12. On the following day when they came from Bethany, the next morning he had gone to the temple, went back to Bethany that evening because it was late. The following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. He's still human, always human. Anybody ever been hungry? Uh, anybody ever been satisfied? <laughs> right. He's still hungry, still human. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, commanded the animals and the plants. There is no kingdom outside of his kingdom." And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. you got to love Peter. Right? Awkward moment again. Look, guys, at the tree, Jesus. So he brings it up to Jesus. Jesus answered him, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Here we see the authoritative judgment of the King, of Jesus. He has all authority, and he has the authority to judge, and he judges righteously because he's righteous. Seeing a fig tree leafed out but not bearing fruit, Jesus curses it and the disciples heard it. Right? There's an element of righteous anger here.